Thank you for downloading this episode of the 155 Podcast, the public records interview series of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. For more election coverage, visit thepublicrecord.ca where you can sign up for our City Hall newsletter. Episode 72, Sophie Jaffros, running for City Councilor in Ward 1, recorded on September 5th, 2018. Sophie Jaffros, you're running for Ward 1 Hamilton City Councilor. Welcome to the Public Records, the 155 podcast. Thank you for having me. Firstly, tell us, who is Sophie Jaffros? I'm a social scientist and a researcher at McMaster University. I've been a longtime housing and transit advocate, and more importantly, I'm someone who has spent their entire life at the sharp end of government decisions. I was raised by a single mother with four children. We relied on social assistance and disability. I have family in city housing. I know what it means when people in power make decisions that don't take into account how it feels to people at the other end. And so I think that's as or more important than, you know, my job title or my name. Why are you running? So this is a bit of a funny question. We redshirted May 1st. We were, as you recall, we were in line right behind Aiden. And at the time, I had many people ask me why on earth I was running against, you know, a reasonably well-liked, reasonably progressive incumbent. Former mayor, in fact, said, Sophie, why are you running against that nice boy? And my answer to them is the same as it is today. I was running because I have been an advocate for safe and affordable housing, for reliable public transit. And my thought process was that, well, while it was unlikely I would gain the seat from a well-liked incumbent, it was certainly possible. But more importantly, I was going to make sure that the incumbent had to have a strong position on safe and affordable housing, had to have a strong position on transit. As you know, the incumbent has since withdrawn. There are now 13 of us, and I'm running for the same reasons. I'm running because I believe that everyone has the right to safe and secure housing. I'm running because we deserve a transit system that serves all of us. I'm running because our government should be accountable to its people. And these things are sound like buzzwords sometimes, but they're incredibly vital parts of who I am and what I believe. And so I'm running to try and make sure that we build a better society together. Do you live in Ward 1, yes or no? I do. Does it matter if one lives in the community one seeks to represent? I certainly think so. As I said, I was asked why I was running in Ward 1. And, you know, I could have legitimately ran in several wards. I have family in the North End. I have family on the mountain. But I live in Ainsley Wood. I know what my neighborhood needs or what my neighbors say. I think it is the utmost arrogance to run somewhere where you do not live and claim to know the needs of that community better than those who live there. How have you contributed to your community and our city? So this is a question I'm going to answer in two parts, actually. The first is, I think, what you're expecting, which is sort of the resume rundown. I have been involved in politics and advocacy since I was five years old. The first time I formally consulted on policy, I was five years old. The Ministry of Health asked my mother for comments on the medically fragile for respite children funding. And she said, well, this is actually about you, Sophie. So why don't we present your comments instead? And since then, I have sat on multiple committees. I've worked with Environment Hamilton on the Fix the HSR campaign. I have sat on the board of the LGBT needs assessment. I co-founded when I was 18 a service at McMaster called Maxess, which is a peer-to-peer equity service for students with disability. And so I have been involved in a lot of those sort of front-facing things. I've also done a lot of work with the YWCA. I helped organize the Elect More Women campaign, and I also helped organize the Women's March. 
But I also want to take a moment to highlight the kind of work that is vital for community organizing and that is primarily done by women and LGBT people that doesn't make the headlines, right? So I have been to six landlord-tenant board hearings, not mine, but I've had people in my community ask me for, the, for help to how we do it. I am an expert systems navigator. You know, I've stayed up until 3 a.m. making banners and making the coffee and and sending the emails and, and smoothing out tensions between, you know, uh, community interest groups. And that kind of labor is vital for community organizing and for community building, but it's also labor that is completely unrecognized. And I just wanted to highlight that because while I do have a lot of traditional experience, I don't think that that traditional experience is any more valuable than the non-traditional hidden labor that goes on behind the scenes. What are your two priorities for Ward 1 and two priorities for Hamilton as a whole? So in Ward 1, we have a huge housing problem. We have a housing problem across the city. But particularly in Ward 1, I'm very invested in the idea of landlord licensing. As you probably know, Aiden ran on landlord licensing four years ago. It then sort of lived in committee for several years. I am committed to making that happen because students are living in death traps. There are units being rented for $800 a month that are bedrooms in 14 bedroom homes that are really two to three bedroom homes with no fire exit. People are going to die. It's only a matter of luck that nobody in Westdale has died recently. We also have a huge population of seniors in Ward 1, uh, particularly in Ainsleywood West and in the north end of the ward. And it's really important that seniors are able to age in place. So I'm really committed to improving our infrastructure in the ward, such as accessible curb cuts, real curb cuts, not ones that end up with people falling in the street, more benches, things that you don't necessarily think about unless you're an older adult or you navigate the city with a mobility device, but are vital to allowing people to continue to be involved in their communities. And then in terms of the city, affordable housing. Something I'm really, really excited about is the possibility of using our zoning bylaws to force developers to build affordable housing in their market housing buildings. And that's something that's been done in many places. It's something we actually already have the bylaw power to do. We simply don't seem to want to. I'm also very invested in our transit system. I am pro-LRT, but I am also strongly in favor of improving our bus network. You know, I support the 10-year transit strategy. I support BLAST. I also just know that it is vital that we properly fund the HSR. You know, council has used the excuse that ridership is declining as an excuse not to fund it. Well, it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation, because if you can't rely on a bus to get you somewhere, you're not going to take the bus. And so we need significant capital investment in the HSR in order to have a modern city and to make sure that everyone can get where they need to go. What are three skills you will bring to elected office that makes you the best choice to represent Hamiltonians on city council? So I'm an organizer. I get things done. That is what anyone who has ever done any organizing work will tell you is I bring people together. I build consensus. I develop ideas and then I make them happen. I am not in the business of saying I will do something and not doing it. I don't break promises. Hamilton zoning regulations prevent the building of multi-unit clustered housing, which is in scale with single with existing single-family housing, commonly referred to as the missing middle. There are approximately 100,000 Hamiltonians in their 20s and approximately 140,000 Hamiltonians over the age of 65. The missing middle is medium-density, transit-connected housing in walkable communities and is important to young renters, first-time owners, 
and critical for seniors seeking to successfully age in place in the communities they've lived for decades. As a member of City Council, you will need to address housing challenges in Hamilton. You will face opposition to infill development and provincially mandated intensification. How will you respond to concerns about development, and where do you believe mid-density growth should occur in your ward? I actually live in an area of the ward that has a significant amount of mid-density housing. I live in Ainsleywood West. There are a lot of low-rise apartment buildings. There are a lot of four-story duplexes. I personally live in a uh, four-story apartment building. I understand how important it is that we build these units, that we look, for example, at older homes that are currently being rented and that we make sure that they are being rented in a... I go back to safety again. I know this question is about housing, but safety is a, a vital part of it for me. Also think we simply need to increase the amount of affordable housing we have. So I'm really excited about the possibility of bringing forth a bylaw that will require developers to have between 15 and 30% affordable and geared to income units in new development. That's something that has been done successfully in Paris, France. And the reason why I suggest the range is I'm looking at a model by Leeds Council in the United Kingdom. What they have done is essentially zoned the entire city into six or seven zones, and they propose a range based on what zone the developers propose to build in. I think that we are going to have to get used to the fact that we are going to have to build more mid and high rise housing. I understand the concerns of people who have lived in single family homes in Ainsley Wood and Westdale, who have lived in row housing in Strathcona North, but I also know that people need homes. And so in addition to the affordable housing development, zoning and regarding development in general, I'm also really excited about the opportunity of the LRT line to build affordable housing. In conversations with ACORN, they pointed out that those developments should have even more affordable housing in them than other developments because people use transit and people who rely on transit the most are unlikely to be able to buy a multi-million dollar condo. And so I'm really excited about the LRT line as a possibility of increasing the, that development. I'm also aware that there is a huge problem with city housing, not just in terms of its quality and stock, but its accessibility. Only one-fifth of city housing in Ward 1 is barrier-free. Not accessible, mind you, just barrier-free. And so that is incredibly important to me. Town of Gown tensions, a phrase coined by academics, are nearly as old as universities themselves. In one of the most famous examples, a three-day riot in Oxford resulted in 62 students and nearly as many townspeople dead in 1355. The Scholastica's Day riot broke out after a dispute about beer in a local tavern. Luckily, today's town and gown conflicts are much tamer and involve much more substantive issues. As Ward 1 City Councilor, you will be responsible for representing both town and gown. How will you effectively represent both and successfully mediate to create solutions which balance both interests? So something that I have been very frustrated by with municipal politics is that McMaster students actually represent the largest single demographic group in Ward 1. You wouldn't know it to look at how our city council treats it. However, I don't think it's necessarily helpful to frame town and gown as fundamentally oppositional interests. I actually reject that framing. I think that students contribute to our communities and are here. And I think we should also, frankly, be doing our best to retain them. We have some of the best minds in the world studying at McMaster. It would be amazing if they had an excellent experience and could remain in our city to contribute to our economic growth. That said, I understand, obviously, there are conflicts. I live in Ainsley Wood. 
you know, I homecoming is coming up. We'll see how that goes. So I think two things can be done immediately. One is improving the level of communication between the student residents, permanent residents, and the counselor's office. When I've spoken with neighborhood associations, one thing that they've said to me is that they feel like things just happen, that McMaster just proposes something and it just happens and they feel that they're not really appropriately consulted or spoken to about it. So I think having clear communication lines between those groups is incredibly important. I'm also very invested in something called the Student Community Support Network, which McMaster used to fund three paid staff, student staff, whose job was proactive bylaw education and enforcement. That project is no longer funded, and so it has kind of fallen into disrepair, but from everything I've heard from residents and students, it was incredibly helpful. I am proposing that the city, the counselor's office, and McMaster jointly fund a similar program where students can act as peer-to-peer bylaw educators and enforcers, where on move-in day, every student house will get a knock on the door. It will have a list of their rights and responsibilities as a tenant, and it will have a number they can call if they have issues. The same letters will be distributed to permanent residents, and we will say, hey, if you're having a bylaw problem, please call this office before you call the police. Um, That is what it did previously, and from my conversations with long-term residents, it was incredibly effective. I'm very invested in peer-to-peer education regarding students and their communities. What are two changes you will propose to improve city services? Well, one of them has to be the HSR. We must fix the HSR. I believe that it is in all of our collective best interests if, for example, the 51 runs year-round. It's also in our best interest to improve North-South Transit. I'm very invested in improving the communication lines between the HSR and the public. As it stands, it's not very good. I'm also really invested in parks and recreation facilities. The fees for renting parks and recreation facilities are astonishing. And the waiver process is incredibly complex and not easily accessed on the city website or in the recreation department. I have a friend who is starting a community music marching band for youth, and they were able to find a fee waiver only because I happened to have one from when I worked at the SPRC. We need to improve the communication between city services and residents in general, and specifically around areas in transit and recreation. What are two changes you will propose to improve quality of life in Hamilton? So one thing I propose is the city be responsible for sidewalk snow clearance along bus routes. There are areas of the city of Hamilton that already have this. Ancaster has this service. It was grandfathered in during amalgamation. To me, this is an issue of equity and access. Seniors and people who use mobility devices should not have to rely on the kindness and memory of our neighbors in order to get to grocery stores, resources, and employment. I'm also proposing Main Street be two ways. I think that it is astonishing that in the year of 2018, we have so-called urban highways. They are death traps. And when we are looking at making Maine two ways, we need to improve our street tree population, particularly in areas of Strathcona. Strathcona is something of an urban desert, and that is bad for its residents. It's bad for its air quality. It's bad for everyone. And so those are two of the changes I would bring to improve quality of life in Hamilton. Hamilton City Council decided against ranked balloting. Ranked balloting enables voters to choose by prioritizing candidates, such as the top three, They feel qualified for public office and best able to represent them. What is your position on ranked ballots? I strongly support ranked ballots. I have, in fact, signed the petition to that effect. 
there are 13 candidates running in Ward 1. The fact that we are doing this with a first-past-the-post system inevitably means that the majority of voters will likely not get the councillor they voted for, and that's a shame. How will you improve civic governance and engagement during the next four years? Something that is very important to me is making sure that we bring people in during all levels of policy development and implementation. That is a no-brainer to me, but it is something that seems not to happen. I am very invested in making sure that the councillor's office can be a portal for that engagement and communication. I want the councillor's office to be somewhere where you can go to learn your rights as a tenant and somewhere you can go to learn how to make a delegation to council. I think that's incredibly important. I'm also very invested in being accountable. I have all of my platform promises have timelines attached so you can hold me to them. I intend on having community office hours so that people can, so, because I believe very firmly as an organizer, you go to people, you don't wait for them to come to you. How will the City of Hamilton's strategic plan guide your decision making in hiring a new city manager? And what qualities do you seek in a new city manager? So our strategic plan is excellent, and I think it would be wonderful if we acted in accordance with it, particularly regarding making sure that we are a city where people of all ages and abilities can thrive. Something that's really important for our new city manager is that in January of 2020, the Access for Ontarians with Disabilities Act is going to come into play. After 2020, if all municipal services are not compliant with these accessibility guidelines, not only can the city be sued by disabled residents, but the city will have fines imposed upon it by the provincial government. So what I'm looking for in a city manager is someone who will be able to be proactive in those changes, as well in all of the other aspects of the city, making sure that we are a place that is fair, equitable, and somewhere where you can truly live, as they say, from cradle to grave. Politics is the art of allocating limited resources and compromising to find solutions. How will you do so? So I don't know that I believe in compromise, but I do believe in negotiation, and I think they're different things. I firmly believe that we should all be aiming for the ideal solution with the knowledge that we will probably not get there. But something that has been slightly troublesome to me when I've spoken with, say, presidents of neighborhood associations, and I've said, well, what is your ideal scenario? And they say, well, we won't get it, so why bother? And I go, no, tell me what you want, and we can work from there. I believe that it is possible to compromise on a lot of issues. I also believe that there are some issues that are so fundamental for equity and justice that there can be no compromise. And instead, my role as a counselor will be to build political momentum around them such that it will become politically untenable for my fellow counselors not to support them. It's 2022. The public record is writing a review of the four-year council term that is just ending. What three words do you hope we will use to describe your term on council? And what three words do you hope will describe council as a whole? Accountable, effective, and equitable. And in terms of council, I'm going to throw in there efficient as well. I hope that you describe council as being efficient, effective, and proactive. Thank you. That's the end of the prepared questions you were sent in advance. Do you have any closing remarks you wish to share? Yes, I do. I'd like to talk about housing again, if that's all right. And something that has been incredibly important to me throughout this campaign has been making sure that people are aware of their rights as renters and of what must be done to make sure that we are able to safely and securely house everyone. I'm not in the business of throwing stones, but the reality is I am the only candidate with a robust housing platform, and I am the only candidate who mentions the word students 
in their publicly available platform, not in reference to elementary and high school students. To me, that says that as a city, we have decided that the student community is not worthy of our attention. And I fundamentally disagree with that. Leading off of that, I would like to ask your listeners to take a look at our petition we are submitting to Tony Fallis, the manager of elections, asking for a polling location for the 3,000 eligible voters who live in residence at McMaster University. That petition is available at sophiejeffross.ca slash poll. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. I wish to thank the Hamilton Public Library. We're at the Central Branch for the use of their sound studio where we recorded this podcast. This has been episode 72 of the Public Records, the 155 podcast. The Public Record is Hamilton's local, independent, reader-funded news outlet. This podcast is made possible by members of the Public Records Press Club. Visit thepublicrecord.ca to learn more and listen to all episodes of the 155 podcast. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed. The Public Record is a member of the National News Media Council, a voluntary self-regulatory organization that deals with journalistic practices and ethical behavior. To learn more about the Media Council, visit the Media Council at mediacouncil.ca. Thank you for listening. See you at the polls on October 22nd.